Today on The Full Life, we have a dynamic show with two awesome guests. It's a show all about how God can fill our emptiness, use us for his work, and defend us every step of the way. Don't miss it. And welcome back to The Full Life. We are so happy that you're with us today. And of course, we want you every day to be living a full life as God desires. And we hope that this show can be a little part of that. And we hope that your journey with God continues to get fuller every time you tune in. I am so excited about today's show. First, I want to bring in our panel for today. Hi, guys. As always, it's wonderful to see them. And I am so excited to start with today's encouraging word because it's a special one today from our first guest, Jerome Bailey Jr. Take a look at this. Footprints of sand reveal the shores. Willing to swim if it meant I was living for more. And the stars never stopped shining. They were aligning as I endured becoming pure for earthly assignments, lonely, I won. I gazed from a cloud. I floated above so I could water the plow. So consider my wholeness. It was withholding the glitter. When the flavor is ready, lower the heat and simmers. I departed no looking back, no matter my fate. I learned to be content no matter my state. I waited, I served, I grew and I learned, I worked, I earned. The gold was churned, the wine was pressed, the road was high, burn marks on my toes showed. I walked these coals. I walked the coals. I walked through the fire. I walked the coals. These are my expressions. road less traveled, I'll take it enthused. Just a vessel, answered the call with nothing to prove. It's a peace in the night, abundance is fertile. A voice echoed a truth, reasons eternal. Though we're anxious, we can make it to the other side. But if we fake it, heart reflected through the sinner's pride, protesting. He wants you to give your best and your message, your blessing. Grow height and lessons. Life I'm dreaming, manifesting. Who knew these hardships I requested? These desires of my heart, all those trials, all that pain, I was blessed with. Sun was darkened. The moon gave light. Oh, what a day. Oh, what a night. All will see Christ. Squint-eyed, hard to see when only see the strife. Other side of the fight, you can see the light. Relationships struggle when the trust is severed. Not a soul is cast away by the Lord forever. Well, I have to say, I've heard those words myself a couple times now, and they always sound like prayers from Jerome Bailey Jr. And I'm so excited to welcome him now. 
Jerome Bailey Jr. is an emerging spoken word artist and author of a globally acclaimed poetry book, Liberation. His latest creative work, Expressions, is a spoken word album out now, streaming on all platforms, and it infuses faith-filled lyric poetry and classical acoustics. After a brutal attack where he almost lost his voice, Bailey soon learned the deep-seated power in his vocal gift, which he now uses primarily to help people find spiritual revival. And outside of his poetry, Bailey has found success as an award-winning video journalist, producer, documentary filmmaker, and international storytelling authority. Bailey and his devoted wife, Janitra, love their New Orleans community, the place that they live and serve. And with that, please welcome to the show, Jerome Bailey Jr. Thanks for having me, Joseph. Oh, what a thrill. Uh, I, I, I get to, I'm the lucky one that knows a little bit your story, but I can't wait for you to share it with some other people. So please take us back, tell us how your, your journey with God, how you found God and how you got to uh, where you are today. Absolutely. So my story started a little bit after college. Um, I was in a place where it seemed that I was achieving these things and I was being moved into these different places that I started to know that, okay, this isn't, it isn't my doing that, that I'm moving on this path. Um, but I don't know exactly why, cause I'm not a full believer. Um, yet I'm not really, you know, I, I had faith in a, in a, in a general sense, but it, but I started to know that I started to recognize that it was something above me that was guiding me or at least opening these doors. So I was living in New York at the time, and this is where I, Jesus kind of came into my life and my heart, but I did not fully know him in a sense of I could not commit my full life to him. Mm. And and I say this in a sense of I was living in the way that, um, you know, it was a clean slate, so to speak, but me personally in my heart, I could not go out and proclaim something full throttle that I didn't fully feel. I, I would like him to say that I don't get why this man that died for me these thousands of years ago um, is so impactful. So although I'm a believer, I, I, it's not fully resonating. And since it's not fully resonating, then I, I can't speak on it in truth um, until it becomes me. Um, and, and, I, and, and God answers our, sometimes when we pray, we don't realize how God is going to answer our prayers whether it, the situation is uh, something that we like or, or don't like. So this became uh, an attack on the streets. So these same streets in New York, I was showing my wife here. Uh, I didn't, I no longer lived here. Um, and I was just showing her where some of the spots that I frequented recent, um, fre used to frequent when I was there. And before you know it, somebody came up to me and attacked me. It wasn't a robbery. It wasn't um, anything specific it was a very bizarre strange encounter whereas a, a guy just comes up to me on the street grabs me headbutts me um so at this point i had to go get this emergency uh, surgery and my mouth and and all of this i feel like god is telling me it's time to use your voice it's time to speak up and then now i'm attacked in my mouth now like you know my teeth are kind of messed up and uh, things like this are happening. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm, I'm more and more mute. So at this point, I just go into this deep, deep depression. And this becomes this eye opening experience where I'm starting to 
face trauma. I'm starting to go to counseling and therapy. I'm starting to expose secrets, things I said, oh, I'm not going to ever tell anybody this or, oh, you know, this happened, but it wasn't that bad. You know, oh, somebody has it worse than me. I started to really go into each one of these places. And what I started to see is the more I became emotionally healthy, the more I became spiritually healthy. So then I started to understand God more. You know, I started to now love myself so I could love God. I started to love myself so now I could appreciate what God's love is. I started to read my Bible every day to a point, not just a religious exercise, but I actually now became hungry. I actually now felt the Holy Spirit transforming me as I'm reading it. I I'm, I'm find myself in deep poverty to a point where I'm literally sitting in an empty apartment, just reading the Bible all day, every day. And for four years, I was trying to live as a Christian and couldn't understand what I was reading. Couldn't, didn't, it, it wouldn't resonate with me, but now this is, it encompasses me. It became all of me. So then I started to rediscover my gift, which was writing and speaking. You know, I always used to do spoken word, uh, poetry in high school and college. And I used to rap and do all kinds of things that use my voice, but it was something that was dormant for a while. And I felt God calling me that to use those gifts, like, you know, speak of me in those gifts because those gifts are what was going to help your, your story resonate with people. So I started to document everything. And then that became my first book was a poetry book called Liberation. And that's where I really explain, explain that freedom that I received, you know, and it became a ticket for me. It became my church. It was a ticket for me indoors. You know, there, there are literally witches, you know, people self-proclaimed witches who have bought my book and we, we've talked, you know, I've shared my book in clubs. Um, I've shared it with all types of people on the streets, um, just all different types of people, you know, drug addicts, you know, just people have experienced this book. Um, and I think God is using that to send me into the places where a lot of people have forgotten about. I love that. You know, it's always so cool to me how God uses, takes the brokenhearted and sends you back in to help others who have been broken. I mean, if you hadn't mm-hmm. been broken, how would you even be able to relate with those people? I, I, sometimes I feel that in my own life. It's like, I'm almost thankful now. I don't know um, if you feel that way, but I'd love to hear so many people's stories. Um, you just hear it over and over again, how they've just been broken open completely in order to be used by God or to hear God's voice. Can you share a little bit more of um, what that means to you? Exactly, Carolyn. Yeah, I I completely relate with that. Like there's so much joy in my trials. You know, I would, Mm. would I do it again? Almost absolutely. Because in the most extreme circumstances, when I had the least, that's when I really depended on God, you know? So it it was actually more of a challenge while prospering for me to get to that place. Because I think once you, you know, the Bible says taste and see that he is good. Once you, once you taste, Jesus and you taste that loving once it, it renews you um for me it it became something I wanted more I had I had done the accolades you know I got the career success all that kind of stuff but it didn't do anything to my heart it didn't move me you know I could I could go work hard and do something anybody could work hard and do so you don't have to be a believer to you know be successful but uh for whatever we call successful but when you when you lose everything and when you when you rid yourself of everything um, and you see that Jesus is what is valuable. 
Um, and, and you actually resonate with that. You're, you're one of his sheep who know his voice, then it changes you. And for me, it, it became the thing I desired more than anything else. I'm just thinking artistically and even maybe even spiritually, when you come to your pieces or your poetry, um, what inspires you and how do you approach um, crafting um, one of your works? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm inspired by almost everything, anything. I always keep a notebook with me. Um, you know, I, I love, um, the, you know, ar I'll see architecture, I'll see visual images because of my background, like in video storytelling, I'm always kind of thinking in story, in story. So um, when I'm writing poems, I, I translate that over to poems that I really want to tell a story and everything that I write, even if it's no matter how short or how long I want to bring you from a starting point, I want to show you some some movement and and then, and then I want to end with something that you can take away. And I like to leave hope. You know, when I was working in TV news, we would tell you the story. So, you know, when I was a reporter, we will give you the story. I go out and tell you this, 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 this happened, this tragedy happened. And then I'm just going to leave you with it, you know, and with my poetry, it's like I could tell you something that happened using my own story, but now I can tell you that there's hope at the end of the tunnel. I want to. I want to die empty. Right now, I've kind wow. of. I started to really realize um, that I started. I stopped limiting myself, uh, my capacity for what I could do creatively, to just a particular medium. And now, I'm accepting that. Hey, God has blessed me with a variety of talents and resources. So I'm just trying to maximize all of those resources. I'm trying to make as many. Um, I'm trying to write as many poems as I can. I write a, I write every day. I'm trying to produce uh, a bunch of visual albums. I want to work with uh, different artists. I want to really just share my creative gifts with the world because I feel like I have something to say in a, in a way to say it that I haven't seen been done before. And I think that people could appreciate it and be blessed by it. Tell everyone where they can follow you and keep in touch with you and follow your music. Absolutely. You can follow me on all platforms at Jerome Bailey Jr. Um, and is streaming expressions, search for expressions, Jerome Bailey Jr. on all platforms, Apple Music, Spotify, whatever you got. Some people who've listened to the album. I've heard that this was their favorite multiple times. It's called Renaissance. Looked in the mirror. I was seeing a giant. I was young like David when I conquered Goliath, but yet and still old preachers tell me to be quiet. They think revival's a riot. I'm even more inspired. Refuse to move till I hear you. Then I groove. Rhythm in your tone, I only dance if you approve. Even when I sway, you never move. I used to walk with a limp carrying my past and trauma until you gave me a glimpse, suicidal attempts, internal battles, they rattle, spiritual wars, and manage your food. One thing about families are fuse. I follow God before I follow the rules. I pray alone before I pray in the pews. Then I challenge authority when visions are skewed. They say this youngin' is rude. You can try to put your foot on my neck, but I won't do as you say. I'm called to bring deliverance. New order, out of shipment. It's more on the way. Thank you so much, Jerome. I think what my biggest takeaway was living a full life is really dying empty and giving all you've got for God's, wow. God's work that he ha has for you. So thank you for sharing your gift with the world. 
And we pray that everyone shares their gifts out there. You follow his example and follow Jerome. Find the album Expressions. And Jerome, I'm sure we'll see more of you and you'll be back on the show again. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Next, we turn to the topic of God is your defender. And that is exactly the title of the new book from our next guest, Rosie Rivera. Rosie Rivera, the testamentary executor of Jenny Rivera Enterprises, is an author, entrepreneur, podcast host, and former reality star, as well as an international speaker, author, and influential public figure. She is happily married to worship leader Abel Flores. The couple lives in Lakewood, California, with her three children, Cassie, Sammy, and Eli. Learn more about Rosie's new book and join the millions of others following her journey on social media from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And you will just love the content she posts. Please welcome our next guest, Rosie Rivera. So good to be with you, you Carolyn. I think you have the first question. Go ahead. <laughs> Rosie, we're so glad to have you on today. It's funny that you've written a book about Be Still because this is something that has really been on my heart, like challenging on my heart. And uh, the book and the concept is about God being our defender, which I love. And it really centers around Exodus 14, 14. And I just want to read a few of those concepts. Um, the Lord will fight for you. Uh, you need only to be still, which how do we be still? How do we find that rest and really trust God when there is so much chaos all around us? I mean, it, that's challenging. Definitely. And it's it's also challenging not to go to the extreme of the trap of avoidance, which is also a chapter of becoming passive and and saying, I'm not ever supposed to speak up. No, there is a healthy balance of when to speak up, when not to speak up and how to do it. And for me, I've my challenge has been trusting God in that God is God. And, and I, it's, it's so easy to say, mm -hmm. but for me, it's really been a challenge because I'm proactive when Jesus Christ heals me and saves me. And I saw him in front of Pilate just with this grace and strength saying, you mm -hmm. said it. And, and Pilate's like, defend yourself. Jesus did it in such an incredible way. But then I also saw him flip tables. So I've gone through my whole life, you know, of saying, when, when do I not speak? When is it okay to flip a table <laughs> and not sin, not sin in my anger? Um, and, and that's what this book is of taking them on the journey of when I have slayed the giant, I have slayed Goliath. I've had to. He's mine, and and they and only mine. And and how to do it, and then also when to pardon Saul because there was so time, so many times that David could have taken out Saul, and God said, right. "No, don't touch him. This is for your character building." Mm -hmm. And and that's been the journey. Being still isn't just sitting there doing nothing. It is. Uh, it's more of an inner stillness of how I learned to trust God. But what am I doing while God does his thing? And, and in every season, it's been a different thing for me. I was really struck by the concept of fairness because I feel like I'm a really, like I have this really strong sense of fairness and I want everything to be fair. But that we all know life isn't fair. But, but there's also some traps you can fall into when you're trying to make everything fair. So that was what really challenged me in the book and really sort of convicted me. Can you speak to that and what you talk about and what you've learned in your journey well, with fairness? 
I've, I've battled with that also. And I, I wonder if most of us do, and especially because I studied law. So I want mm. things to be a certain way. And, and I love the truth so much, um, almost to right. a fault where I will just, I'm very organized and everything has to be this way. And then I said, you know, I learned that I'm not the judge. Ju what is yeah. fair to God, he's not waiting on me to approve. Oh, okay, God, you can do that because that's fair to me. He's not, he's God. And and I found myself having a conversation with him where he said, Rosie, aren't you exhausted? And I was like, I am God. And he said, well, you're exhausted because you have the judge's um, like armor on, you know, you think you're the judge. You also think you're the jury. You're also the defense attorney, the detective, the investigator. He's like, no wonder you're exhausted. You weren't meant to do all of that. Right. You don't know all the facts. And mm. it struck me, even in my story of abuse, where I was a victim, where I was 100% innocent because I was only eight years old, um, I still didn't know all the facts. God knows all the facts. And that's the only way that you can really truly be a judge. And that's the only way that you can really give a sentence. I know the facts that I know. So I give my facts to God now. And I said, okay, look, this is what I've been through. Whether I'm in a dispute with my husband or in a lawsuit, it's okay, God, This, these are my facts. I'm going to let you handle it. And I'm going to trust that you're a good judge to all of us. I just, I had to really know that God is good. And I had to go through some stuff to really, really, really make myself know. And even now remind myself, hey, Rosie, God is good. I know it does seem unfair, but God is a good father, not only to you, but even to the person that did you wrong. So if God decides to give that person mercy, it's because he's a good father. And if you mm. really receive mercy, it's not only for you. Mercy is for all his children. The cross is for everyone. And I'm telling you, I have to remind myself of that today. If God decides to give no punishment, no discipline, get 100% mercy to save a soul, then the whole kingdom won. And I have to really keep that in perspective. But doesn't that always remind you of Jonah? I always come back to that when everybody wants to play judge and they want to take everyone down to the ground. And then I, I think of Jonah, how mad he got at God. He got so upset because he's like, you've sent me here. Now these people have repented and, and you're, and you know, but that was his whole point is he said, God saw their heart. He saw that they truly had repented and God said, I love them. I love them. And if we can really understand what you're just saying right there is God loves I mean, but it's so hard for us. It's like, Joseph, I'm so glad you brought that up. It's so hard when we want justice to really take on God's heart. And I mean, it, it's hard to do that. It, it is hard. And then I have to remind myself, if I'm praying for justice, it's not a one-way street. I have also made mistakes. Consciously, mm -hmm. accidentally, or sometimes purposefully, I have hurt people. And justice isn't only for me. It's also for the people that I've hurt. God loves them too. And, and more than loving us, more than the other, as we tend to think, God loves justice, period. And so I have to keep that in mind too whenever I'm praying for justice. There's someone on the other side also praying for justice for what Rosie has done. And I would sure love mercy and forgiveness and, you know, um, just grace. So God, God is going to give it. And it, it, it is really difficult. 
But then you see how he never fails and how it all works for good because it really does. And I can rest in that. I can really rest in if it was all in Rosie's hands and I did have to be the judge, I'm going to make a mistake yeah. and people can be hurt. And and then I'm going to feel bad because I hurt someone. So it's like just it, when I surrender to God, it's not a loss at all. It's it's always a victory. It's just getting myself to the point of surrendering. That That's my main battle now. Um, in the book, you talk about aisles of idolatry. And I love that you don't necessarily focus on the big idols, you know, whether it's like addiction you know, alcoholism or gambling um, or even worshiping other gods. Instead, you talk a lot about um, smaller, I think you call them preoccupations of the mind that can be smaller idols in like our everyday lives or everyday scenes. Could you talk more about that concept of preoccupations of the mind um, and what of those everyday idols that may be in our lives today? <sighs> the ones that surprise you. I was so surprised <laughs> one day. You know, when and when the Holy Spirit tells you, it's not like you can argue with him, you know. So one day I was reading the word and, and reading, he had me in Ezekiel reading, you know, about idolatry. And I'm like, Jesus, why are we here? You know, like, I don't have an idol. I've never like worshipped anything else, even before I knew him. And he said, you idolize your sister. And I, I was in shock. Um, how? how have I idolized her? I just love her a lot. And she loves me well. And she died. So it, it was really those those idols. It was my sister. And then just really repenting. And God is so good that as soon as I said, you're right, yeah, it, it, I did. I didn't realize it, but I did. And sometimes we idolize ourselves and what we want. And I've even idolized ministry to where I love what I do and I love to preach and I love to teach and I love loving people, but I have to be super honest with myself. And if I wasn't preaching, would I read the word? Am I really spending time with him anymore? Or is it just to give a good sermon? And I had to catch myself. It's sometimes those good things that God has given us that we, we do idolize. I know the big ones already. I know the obvious ones. I have to watch myself for those little ones, those little foxes that I, that I can fall into. I, love, I, know, I know you have a follow-up, Hank, but I, I just want to mention that I love uh, the example of the woman who was honking at you on the, on the road in the book. And like, how much time do you spend thinking about that woman who honked at you? And so you've now lost your mind for the next hour thinking about it. And that's an idol. You know, yes, so what I, I would have I, said, I, what I should have said. Um, it's it's a lot of ego and or yeah. you know, so I usually have to question my ego and in, in even the smaller situations. Um, I just want you to speak a little bit on can revenge be an idol or that idea of getting the person back? Do you think that can be an idol? I think anything that rules your heart that takes up all your time. I mean, wherever your heart is, there is your treasure. And for me, I measure it on time. I spent 18 years thinking about revenge, just thinking about it, just wow. obsessing over this person. Um, as much as I hated him, it was an idol because I didn't allow, allow myself to think of anything else not even thinking about God, but my dreams and my health and my inner healing. And um, it was, again, it was mostly pride of my honor and someone has to pay for this. Who's gonna pay for it? And, and then I found myself so bitter and so exhausted. Mm. 
Um, I didn't realize it until someone said, hey, Rosie, you don't smile. Why don't you smile? I was like, yes, I do. And then I noticed, you know what? I don't because I am so obsessed with revenge that um, I would, that I planned my whole life around it. I wanted to become a, an attorney like Marsha Clark because that's the first time I saw her in 2013, but only because I wanted to get back at the man. How was I basing my whole life and everything going to law school still like, because I'm going to be the one that puts him in jail. When I finally let it go and said, God's going to handle it. I quit law school. I still loved it. I, I'll go back probably just for the experience, but I could finally think I'm, that's not me anymore. I'm a people person. I love books, but I don't want to be in a courtroom. I'd rather be at, at a library or at a, at a church. I'd rather be serving the community in this way. And that that's because I took down that idol of revenge. That's, yeah, that's incredible. I didn't realize you were in law school and stopped, but that's incredible to be able to realize how much of your life was now dedicated to something. And yeah. you know, there's a lot of people who get into law for many different reasons. And a lot of people might even say yours is noble, you know, but to realize how that's become an idol, I think is a really, really good lesson for us that sometimes what we think is good may not be what God wants from us or for us. Too. That's good. Yeah, I've really had to take down some vows, but God mm -hmm. really let me know uh, it, it's a good thing, but your intention behind it wasn't good. And that's, that's what can right. destroy you personally. So I had to really say, I started this from the wrong perspective. I'm going to take away that vow. And I was set free. I loved Bible college. Everyone thought I was crazy, but I went from law school to Bible college financially, just prestige wise. Everyone thought Rosie lost her mind. And I said, no, I'm finally <laughs> on the right path. I finally that's am. Wonderful. And, I, and, and I'm free now. I don't think of him every day anymore. When I do hear his name or I can even speak of him, there's no, there's no hate. There's no pain. He's, he's a, a creation of God. And that's just how I see him. Yeah. You know, uh, Rose, you're sitting here talking and I'm getting this feeling in my heart, like of somebody who's watching right now, who is, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is an idol or something, but they're in self-preservation mode or survival Ooh. mode because maybe they have been hurt. You know, and, and in the world's view, we have that right to be angry, to be unforgiving. You know, you've been hurt. You've been, mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many people who have been, a, you know, let's say molested or, or raped or whatever. And yes, they have that right. But what I hear you saying is you got to the point almost that you released it, you let go and mm -hmm. you forgave. I mean, it, can that be an idol in a way that self-praise? preservation mode, that survival, looking out for me. I don't know. Maybe you can talk to that person that's listening right now. Who's hurting? They're hurting. Right. I, I kind of came to the realization um, about what really self-defense is, self-protection. Is it is it truly, can we really truly do it correctly? In me protecting myself so much, it became self-defense and then it became defensive. Every single thing became about me. Every tweet, every comment, people who weren't even thinking of me, I went in defensive and saying, why did you, were you talking about me? And, mm -hmm. and it, I ruined so many relationships because I was so self-defensive. I, I just had an offensive, defensive mind. And if I think that I have to defend everything and everyone, then I'm trying to be everyone's savior. And there's only one mm. savior. And, and once I step off and let him do it, he can guide me on how and when. It's not that I'm going to do nothing, 
but am I going to do it correctly? And, mm -hmm. and so it, there are mechanisms, for example, there are moments where when I was young and I was staying away from this person and I was red flagging everything that, that, that served me a purpose at that time. But that same self-preservation mechanism can become an idol 10 years later where it's no longer working and it's, it doesn't work anymore. This whole fighting in the street, I'm 40 years old now. I can't, I can't fight people. And not, not when I have a four-year-old in the car, but I'm so stuck on like, well, it worked. When, when they bullied me in the seventh grade, you know, um, I, we really have to humble ourselves to say, is this working for me anymore? Is it working for my family? I, I really have to stay in tune with what is working now and not hold it as an idol of I'm everyone's mama bear. I defend everyone. Then it becomes more about me looking good um, rather than really saying we're going to wait on God on this one. We're really going to trust God. Mama loves you. Mama's praying for you but God loves you more and he yeah. knows more than even mama bear. And especially in, uh, you know, instances of trauma or suffering or abuse, you know, isn't there this fear uh, component to it, a fear of rejection, a fear of not being worthy to it as well? I think you speak of that in your story too. Yes, that, that I dealt a lot with fear, um, uh, fear of rejection where I, I even had a plan for that, protecting myself, defending myself by saying, I'll reject you first. So, so many good relationships right. that yeah. I ruined because I was like, oh, got to protect myself. Don't get hurt again. Um, I'm not going to be able to handle this hurt or I don't want to get hurt again. Um, it, it was just I thought I was being super smart and super logical. And then years later, I rejected so many people that didn't deserve right. it. And I lost on so many great relationships. Well, I think the enemy is so good at trickiness because it starts out a little healthy. Like I've got to look out for myself, you know, putting those boundaries. And then somewhere, don't you think it begins to flip and all of a sudden we become so inward focused that now we're no longer outward focused. So everything is about me. And if you read the word, life is not about me. It's about what I do for others. And you just see how the enemy begins to change. And, you know, I, in your book, you talk a little bit candidly about your sexual abuse. Your, mm -hmm. Thank you for being willing to be so open because there's so many women mm -hmm. who have, have been through that. Um, but how it led you down a path of self-destruction and um, how it just your self-worth. I just think that that is so powerful for you just to talk about that because how, how did it lead you down that path? Yeah. The, the self-sabotage I know so well, um, it, it was really wanting to destroy myself because I battled a lot with guilt, um, with shame. I was exhausted from feeling dirty and I really believed the enemy when he said, you're not worth it, you're just used, um, you're only used uh, for sex and you're not even that good at it. Just when we go through things alone, that's when we can get in those traps. So I started to want to die, but I didn't want to commit suicide. So I thought, well, I'll just over drink. You know, maybe I'll drink till my liver's gone. I'll use all the drugs. I will um, have unprotected sex. And maybe some illness will take me out and it'll, I was doing it subconsciously wow. 
but still really saying, I, I really want to die. How can I put myself in the worst situations? Um, but then I started, it started becoming a habit of mine. So then you don't know how to stop it. The thing is, is that those, it becomes out of control. And so things that I wanted to preserve, like a good, healthy relationship, I couldn't anymore because that self-sabotage would get into my relationship and I would ruin the relationship before I had a chance to flourish. And then I would self-sabotage in my business ventures. And, and that same thought process of, I don't deserve this, I'm dirty, there's so much shame, would creep in to a business venture and then it would fall apart. Or I started to expect it to fall apart. So even yeah. now, um, I, because I know that it's there, the enemy will still try and use it against me. And I'll, you know, just remind myself of those Bible verses, um, you know, of abundance. I have a life of abundance and um, there is hope for me in healthy relationships and really take responsibility to believe, to really believe. God will still remind me those who believe will see you know, the miracles of God and signs and wonders follow those who believe Rosie, do you believe? And, and honestly, I believe God will bless everyone else in a second. It's believing that he can bless me, me personally, that I sometimes still battle with. And I'm just so glad that God is patient with me and will remind me time and time again, I love you. You are my child. I died on the cross for you. I care for you. All those Bible verses are, um, are are things that I have to repeat to myself every day so that I don't self-destruct. Yep. Awesome. Um, Rosie, in the book, you share about your marriage um, being on the brink of divorce and a story uh, of nearly dying. So I was wondering if you want to talk a little bit about that. But right before you do, I do want to make a quick plug for The Power of Us, which is a very good, popular, entertaining podcast that you host with your husband, Abel. Um, so everyone, please check that out as well. Um, but now I'll kick it back to you just to talk a little bit about um, what was it like being on that brink of divorce and that story of nearly dying uh, to share with us? So painful. My sister died on December 9th and I kicked out my wonderful supportive husband on December 10th. I kicked him out. I said, leave. Wow. And, and he walked out just because I was yelling at him in front of everyone. I mean, it, my whole family was present. We were all mourning or confused or figuring out how we were doing it. And I said, get out. Why? Because I didn't want him to see me broken. I just felt like I am going to be such a mess and I don't want you to see that side of Rosie. So he left for 30 minutes and then he came back and he said, I was just taking a walk because I knew this whole time that, that I'm not leaving you. And you can kick me out as many times as you want, but I'm not leaving. And and I just thank him so much for that. And in the, the next year, um, it had gotten so bad that he did ask for a divorce. And I'll never forget, we were sitting there in front of like, I'm not sure who it was. I don't know if it was like those quickie divorces. And and we were sitting and I said, I'm not signing. And, you know, he, he paid the money and everything. And I said, well, you're going to have to mail it to me. And then I'll see if I sign because I am not signing. Mm. And, and um, he did. He mailed it out. And I knew it was going to arrive in three days. And I was just praying to God, you know, just repenting, taking responsibility for what I had done. I had focused right. so much on myself and on my mm. sister's legacy and on on so many other things that I had really not um, nurtured my marriage anymore. Um, a day before it arrived in the mail, he showed up at the house and he said, let's try it again. And you know what, just to be a hundred percent with you, it's happened about three or four times. 
where it's like, we're going to try again. We're going to try again and and starting over. And now, thank God, now we're in a great place. We've done counseling. We have decided we're going to do counseling at least one a year, once a year, no matter if we're good or if we're bad. If we're doing good, well, then let's get more tools. But if we're doing bad, for sure, we're going to do counseling. We're, we're doing life with healthy couples just consistently. It's not, I used to think only when things are bad. No, no, no. Just consistently be around healthy couples. And that's what the power of us is. It's being super, super open, vulnerable honest for those new couples because Abel and I felt like we didn't know this before getting married, especially because we grew up in the church. Everyone has a perfect marriage, you know, (laughs) on Sundays. We want to know what happens Monday through Friday. And so we try and be that voice to say, hey, we're mad right now. We've done podcasts where you could tell that I'm mad. There is not one (laughs) smile. It's just, mm -hmm, you know, my eyebrow raised. I'm mad at him right now. And we're going to discuss it right now in front of you. And, um, and those wow. ones that, that followers love the most, because they're like, I do that too. And, um, you know, even in the book, you know, where I'm saying God is my defender and it's like, but I'm not feeding my husband right now. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's really being honest. I think that my vulnerability honors God and it really creates that space for God to be God and, and really put the enemy to shame. That's correct. I totally agree. Um, what is that best revenge we can have that you mentioned in the book? The best revenge is being happy. Um, I've tried it all. I've tried the revenge of the Yelp review. I've tried the revenge of secretly <laughs> telling everyone, you know, um, how horrible the person is. I've tried the silent treatment. It hasn't worked for me. It has not worked for me. Um, you know, I, I really thought I was doing something by not feeding my husband and we both just gained weight. You know, it's um, but the, the true revenge is really, really healing. That w- That's what has given me peace. The mm. true revenge is not allowing this person to have any more power over my present. Okay. And that came with forgiveness. So it looks different than what you think. It's not how much he's hurting. How much am I healing? It's not how much punishment he's having, how much peace reigns over my life. Um, because I hated a man for 18 years. And I don't even know if he even thought about me, if he even remembered right. my name. Right. But as soon as I forgave him, the peace that reigned over my life, I said, this is what I should have done a long time ago. So revenge um, is really letting God handle it. God, you're going to be the judge. I'm going to focus on healing so that it doesn't affect my future generations. And and my daughter growing up and saying, mama, you're different. You're different than the mama I knew at four, at five. That to me was the greatest wow. revenge. Wow. Yes. Thank you, Rosie, for being with us today. Thank you for all those insights. I encourage everyone to follow Rosie uh, on social media. And of course, follow her and her husband's podcast, The Power of Us. And finally, get that book, God is Your Defender. It's out now. And we haven't even covered it all. There's so much more in there. Thank you, Rosie, for your example. And thank you for trusting God, for your vulnerability, and for your example of forgiveness. I pray that so many are impacted today to live a fuller life and embrace the concepts you talked about today. And before we close, we're going to turn to a fullness of prayer today. Again, from our first guest, Jerome Bailey Jr. So my approach to prayer 
I'm not the let me get on my knees, um, close my eyes, write real hard and, and try to feel something spiritual, even though I don't knock that. But for me, I'm such a, uh, a skeptical kind of person uh, and stubborn that, you know, God has to really, uh, you know, beat it across my head sometimes for me to, to catch it. I don't have a lot of deep dreams, but I hear I hear God constantly throughout the day. And my approach is, you know, I wake up really early. I'll either start off by, you know, I'll go exercise or just kind of get outside, just get in the outdoors, see the grass, the trees, start off from a place of adoration, you know, just thanking them for just, you know, what I'm experiencing, just the air that I'm breathing, just, you know, being present in that moment, having another day, another opportunity. And then from there, I just really continue to ask the Holy Spirit, just, hey, show me what's in me today. I try not to be too formulaic. I will keep getting up early. I've been doing that for for years um, and, you know, exercising and then proceeding to, you know, reading my Bible and asking the Holy Spirit for guidance on the direction to go in. And then I don't leave until I feel released, until I feel that, okay, I've heard from God. Um, I'm sure of it. I'll write some of the best things that I ever wrote. You know, I have some of the best create and I'm not doing these things to get something but I'll I'll leave and walk away with this feeling of peace where I know that I was just in the presence of God. Well we thank you all for joining us again today. We pray that this was an impactful show for you. I know it certainly was for me and I, I think it was for everyone here. We want you to live a full life as we say every day. God we just we love all of you and we thank you for watching with us and we'll see you next time here on The Full Life.